All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me, I got the pleasure of sitting down with Zach Hoheiser out of Wisconsin. He is with Wild Media Group as well as Growing Wild. And you're going to hear a lot of cool stuff from him, the things he's passionate about. But it was just a really good time to sit down and talk with someone from my home state of Wisconsin to hear about a deer that he's after. And I'm really excited to see how that story plays out. You guys are going to hear more about that in just a second. But I've been having some audio issues. He did have a train go through at his house a couple times, so it gets loud here and there. But all in all, I think it was a great recording, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Also, I want to put a plug in here for him. He has a new YouTube video coming out tomorrow evening, and so I encourage all of you guys to go and check that out. You're going to hear more about it towards the tail end of this recording, but let's jump in. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Zach Hoheisel. And Zach is out of Wisconsin, and he likes to hunt all sorts of different things, which I'm realizing everybody I talk to, I'm like, the reason I get along with these guys so well is because they just like being in the outdoors. And just from our brief conversation before the before the podcast started, um, I got that feel from you right away. I think we're cut from the same cloth. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity quick to share, you know, a little bit about who you are for those who don't follow you already, um, and maybe a brief history about your hunting. Yeah, so my name is Zach Hoheisel. You did get the pronunciation right, so yes. congrats on that. Um, I'm a father of two, and I'm a huge outdoorsman. I was just blessed to have a dad that, um, growing up now and having kids of my own, I can't believe how willing my dad was to take me <laughs> on all of his hunting and fishing. Like, I have, you know, somewhat limited time and every one, I try to drag my kids along as much as I can, but sometimes it's nice to just go up by myself. And I was a type of kid that always wanted to go along no matter what it was. And my dad always said, yes. I mean, thankfully for me, I probably blew a lot of hunts for him, <laughs> ruined a lot of fishing trips, but um, he really put that fire inside of me at a young age by allowing me to come along. And um, I just grew up in it. I have a we have a family cabin about an hour away from where, you know, my whole family lives that uh, has a trout stream on it and 60 acres. And I grew up hunting and fishing out there. And um, I grew up doing a mix, a little mix of everything, but I really have always been a whitetail hunter. That's been kind of just my biggest passion, what I do the most of. But as I grew up and I went off to college, um, I know you're familiar with the Eau Claire area. I went to UW Stout. Nice. And over there, there's a lot of public land and a lot of kids from Minnesota and Minnesota kids duck hunt. So I got yep. super into duck hunting in college, uh, bought a dog, got into dog training. So um, duck hunting became another big thing I do. And my biggest issue is I do a little bit of everything. So there's, you know, so much, there's only so much time to go around during hunting season, but um, I'm just uh, obsessed with it. And that's why I started growing wild. I just love I love, I'm a photographer and a videographer by trade. So I share my passion for the outdoors through photos and videos and do my best to just show this whole, whole lifestyle, everything from getting ready for 
hunting or fishing trip to actually going hunting and fishing to coming back and cooking, you know, the wild game, spending time with family outside. Um, I'm just really proud of everything I do. And I feel like guys like you and me, there's, I get encouraged listening to these podcasts because I realize there's so many, so many more of us than um, sometimes we know, but I also feel like there's so many people that don't even know you can like harvest your own food and get out yeah. there and do stuff. I'm just really proud of the lifestyle I live and I like sharing it with others and try to promote it in the best way possible in this day and age, because it, it can be, it can become divisive and um, it's, it can be a polarizing subject, you know, hunting and fishing, but I try to share all of the good parts of it with others. And that's kind of my passion. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I, I think I started the podcast for the same reasons that you do videography and photography. It's just a different form of sharing people's stories, sharing the experience. And um, I've come to love it. At first, I, I was kind of nervous because I went from talking with friends and family, people that I knew really well. And then I just threw something out there on TikTok like a couple months ago. Hey, if you're interested, hit me up. And all of a sudden I had like a dozen podcasts scheduled. I'm like, man, these are total strangers. I'm just supposed to figure out an hour of talking with them. And now that's like one of my favorite things to do is just having people on that. I don't know. I don't know the stories I'm hearing all about their adventures for the first time. And I just think it's really cool when some of us little guys in the hunting community can just share our passion and how we go about it. And maybe be a little bit more relatable than, you know, the untouchables in the, in the hunting world. Yeah, for sure. It's a lot of fun just getting to meet new people and um, the pod, whether it's podcasts or Instagram or now TikTok is blowing up. I have so many people that I call like friends in the outdoor industry and I yep. really never met them. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Same here. I'm like, man, all of these people, like I know them, I know about them, you know, we follow each other or whatever and follow the journeys. There's one guy on or on TikTok and it's funny because he'll, he'll like take jabs at me as if we're like best friends, you know, like, you know how you just mess with your buddies and he does that. And people are like, man, are you like, did you guys grow up together? I'm like, no, we just have this weird TikTok bromance going on just because we've been looking at each other's trail camera pictures. That's pretty cool. Um, so you, I mean, you touched on a couple of the things that you do and you said your passion right now is whitetail hunting. Has that always been your passion or like when duck hunting came into your life, did that take over for a bit? It's funny. Cause nothing ever, I don't want to say anything ever takes over, but I definitely do have moving interests where like, it might be the focus to like right now, fly fishing is what I'm kind of ate up with because it's newer. I just started this year. And I, I could go on and on about fly fishing because I'm just, I'm just learning all of the things I'm getting into it. Um, but whitetail hunting is always the, like, no matter what's going on in my life, whitetail hunting will always be there because it's, well, first of all, we have this cabin we can go to and I'm really lucky. I don't know if you like, you're somewhat familiar with Wisconsin. We're in an area near Tigerton. So we have some, that area is kind of known for bigger whitetails. So and the other thing is we have, we only have 60 acres, which I think is kind of important because comparatively in that area, that's a really small piece of land, but it's this yeah. perfect chunk where if you look on an aerial map, there's like a thousand acre block of timber above us and a thousand acre block below us. And there is one little stretch of, there's a, it's actually a trout stream. So that's cool for fishing, but it's a trout stream with the swamp. And then there's hardwoods on either side that connects these two things 
And, um, you know, so we get lots of traffic in October and November. Uh, so it's, it's really good hunting. So I know that that's always there for me to kind of take advantage of. It's just an hour of way. We have our, even if for some crazy reason, I don't plant food plots, run trail cameras, um, or hang new stands, which has never happened because I love it so much. I, I do the prep every year, but even if I didn't, there's always, that's always there for me. And that's always like my number one, September, October, November, I'm making time for deer hunting. But like when duck hunting was introduced, I bought a dog and I make more time for duck hunting. And when trout fishing kind of became more, I just make more time for it. And that's kind of a different season. That's more of a spring summer thing. But, um, I just, bow hunting is the the biggest and most consistent all these other things they don't necessarily come and go i just tried to make time for them but bow hunting is like without a doubt the biggest one yeah yeah that's awesome i uh i would agree bow hunting i i think for a short period of time duck hunting kind of took over for me and it was when i moved to college and didn't have a spot to call my own to to archery hunt and Mm -hmm. i was like man i just growing up in Wisconsin, I was like, man, I'm not going to go and hop on public land. And like the orange army, you have no idea what guys out there with, with a Miller in both pockets and, you know, mm. rifle in hand shooting and anything that moves. And so I was kind of scared off of public land for a while and came down to Missouri. And the only thing I hunted for probably the two or three years was waterfowl aside from my yearly trips back to Wisconsin. But, um, yeah. Now archery like consumes everything. I love it. I still go out like Wednesday. I'll head out dove hunting. Um, we've got early teal coming up, but the thing I look forward to every year is whitetail and that's even above and beyond any of the Western trips. Yeah. I, the other thing I like to say about it is that they all offer different experiences. Like bull hunting to me is a time of solitude being in the tree by myself just decompress but duck hunting is fun i mean you're making bacon and eggs in the blind you're talking with buddies giving each other a hard time and you're having fun but like and i don't get me wrong i love a good duck hunt where you just you know smash birds and it's it's a great time with your friends and family and stuff but in my opinion nothing beats the adrenaline rush of you know a cold frosty morning hearing a twig snap and just looking over your shoulder and there's a deer, you know, that the, the payoff of a successful deer hunt is such more of an accomplishment to me and a much bigger deal. But the cool thing about duck hunting has to offer is you can be successful more times out. Like yeah. I don't shoot a deer every time I go out. I yeah. mean, I guess you could with doe maybe shooting. I, I, and I, I shoot plenty of doe. I love venison, but um, you know, you can go out and shoot ducks, pretty consistently whereas like bow hunting there's so much that happens that the kill especially if you're just talking about like a buck kill is like one percent of the equation and that one percent is just so much bigger than you know shooting a duck or a dove or anything else oh yeah yeah i mean when i have birds coming in i definitely get that like short adrenaline rush and i'm like man this is really cool i'm pumped about this but like you said when that twig snaps and you realize it's a deer and not the hundredth squirrel of the morning. It's yeah. just like, I mean, it, it's like time freezes for a second. And especially if you can see him coming, you see that flash, that flicker of a tail or the ear just moving a hair through the woods. I know where, where I hunt in Wisconsin, it's thick woods. I mean, it's just like rolling Hills covered 
covered in trees. And so I'm not seeing deer at 500 yards, you know, coming through a field. And I know some people that's how, how it is, but I don't even have any edge to hunt at all on the property that I hunt. And, uh, so when you see something, it's pretty close. I mean, if you see it, it's probably within 150 yards. Most of the time where I hunt, it's within 75 right out of the gate. And, Mm. uh, man, I, I say I don't get buck fever until after I send a bullet or an arrow, but like that initial, just, I don't know, push of adrenaline is crazy. Like for three seconds, it's like, Oh, there's one. And then it's like, all right, chill out. Just wait a second. See what it is. Yeah. I apologize if you can hear that noise in the background. There's a a train not too far from my house. Oh, that's all right. My kid, my kids just came in a second ago, so it's not, it's not a big deal. (laughs) Oh, I am fully familiar with the dad life. (laughs) I get that. Um, Yeah. But deer hunting, man, there's it. It's irreplaceable. Like I'll never be able to find the same experience I get out of deer hunting in trout fishing or duck hunting or anything else that I do. Just like, you know, I go duck hunting for different reasons. A lot of time duck hunting or pheasant hunting for me is, you know, in October when I'm kind of letting things, you know, when the weather might not be that great or when I'm kind of letting things calm down at the cabin for deer hunting, or if it's just like a quicker thing, you know, if I can fly out my door and go on a quick dove hunt, you know, on a weeknight after, you know, a day of work and make it home and have dinner with the kids and stuff. It's, it's just, there's different things you can do at different times, but yeah, deer hunting is special for sure. Yeah. You, you mentioned you got a dog for deck hunting. Um, yep. and then you got kind of excited about training what, what did that look like? I mean, did you get DVDs, videos, pointers from other people? How did that work? I went a step further and I just went ahead and took a job working for a, a guy named Jeremy Moore. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's, he's from Wisconsin. He um, owns dog bone hunter, um, like the shed hunting shed dog, oh, yeah. um, all that. He's really well known in the industry. Um, so I got the dog and I started training it and then I was like, boy, I really like this. So I just went ahead and worked for like one of the best dog trainers I could find in, in Wisconsin. Um, and my, my job wasn't, it's not like I was training dogs with him all day. I was a warehouse person in his, you know, I was packaging materials. I was helping him with some of his social media stuff. He also has another company that he was bringing to life as I started working there called the Hodag Licking Stick. So I helped with packaging that and marketing that and stuff. But, um, consistently through that you know he had client dogs in I got to film a lot of his um like weekend seminars and stuff like that so the whole time that I was there working I was getting to see how a a professional trainer handles his dogs and I I learned so much through that and that's when I was kind of like oh I I didn't know anything about I thought I knew some stuff about dog training before that I knew nothing (laughs) and uh I just dove into it head first and Harley I'm happy to say it turned out to be a really good little dog. Um, she's an excellent duck hunting dog. And then she had the really cool opportunity last year. There is some really complicated stuff going on in my personal life to where I just, I couldn't have her uh, the whole time because I was going through like a weird move and I living situation was weird. And I just didn't have time for Harley the way I normally would. So she went out to a local hunt club and became a guide dog at a 
upland um hunt club so she got to hunt like four to five days a week nice. um and she then she just became like a monster like yeah. it was it went from she's a real good hunting dog to this this girl's a monster and um <laughs> that's pretty cool so she'll i don't know she'll live with me this year but she'll still go out to that hunt club you know a week at a time here or there for different hunts and stuff um so yeah so that's kind of the dog thing it's just it's it's a fun relationship harley's a family dog first um she's full of energy boy she turned four like two weeks ago and she still acts like a puppy i mean she's full of energy but when it, when it's time to hunt she can dial it in and use that energy for some pretty cool stuff man that's awesome i keep telling my wife if we ever you know come across like 10k i'm just gonna dump it all into an awesome dog get it trained i i want a dog that like you like you're talking about can shed hunt and duck hunt and pheasant hunt and blood track. I know there's a lot of organizations that focus on multifaceted hunting dogs now. And I'm like, that'd be the coolest thing before I thought I needed four different dogs for all four different things, but people are training them for everything all at once. And, uh, I had, I had a dog actually I had two dogs. One of them had hunted for like seven years. I found it on Facebook or Craigslist, I think at the time. And this guy was like, man, this dog has been hunting for seven years. It's AKC registered. Um, I'm just looking for a hunting home. And I went and picked it up and I was like, this is the greatest dog on the planet. Like it will bring back a duck. And I took it out with this guy named Phil who does like national trials and stuff. He's a judge now also trains and I brought my dog out. He's like, Hey man, come throw birds for me or throw bumpers. And you know, I'll give you some free pointers and help you train your dog. And so I show up and he's like, let's see what your dog can do. And so I like threw the bumper and the dog ran out and brought the bumper back and I'm all like pumped. And he's like, all right, can you make it sit and stay before it just breaks next time? And I was like, uh, I guess he's like, can you cast with it? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And he's just like, let me show you something. And he brought one of his dogs out. And we did, we put like three, three birds out, one at a hundred, one at 80, and then one at like 25 yards uh, before we got the dog out of the Kate or the crate. And, um, and then he did a live flyer, which was just, he's basically got a slingshot with a 22 blank, you know, and he sends that out anyways, he sends this dog out and he whistles at it and it turns and it's treading water, just like looking at him waiting for a command. And he's like back. And the dog like goes exactly to where he pointed it ends up finding all four, uh, three, three bumpers and then a dead duck, um, that he freezes and just reuses Mm -hmm. in the amount of time it took my dog to go out and get one bumper that I threw like 50 yards, you know? And I'm like, okay, my dog is not that great, (laughs) but I still love it. And I never really trained it well. Um, but that's something that's on my list of things. I just want an amazing dog at some point. One that doesn't go and pick up decoys when it's supposed to be getting a live bird, you know? Yeah. yeah Harley's pretty, she can, she can stop to a whistle and do all the handling. And when it was kind of a similar story, I thought, Oh, my dog can, you know, I'll throw a, a bumper for it and it'll bring it back. It's a hunting dog. And I was at one of these training seminars and Jeremy did the same thing where he, he hit a bunch of blinds and with casting and, stopping to a whistle he directed the dog to these and I was like I didn't even know something like that was possible and I slowly worked my way up to it and I have a really cool local dog park that has some really nice like technical ponds and stuff in it 
And it's, I'm not going to lie, it's a kind of a cool feeling when I'm out there working with Harley and people come up and they're like, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty cool. That's cool. I, de- I want to get into that. And I need help with shed hunting because I have, I've found two sheds in my life that I've actually like picked up. I've seen plenty more through binoculars and stuff out West, but I, I can't find sheds to save my life. I have thousands of pictures of bucks on camera here at my property. And I don't know if I'm just bad at it. If the squirrels get to them before I ever do, if someone else is shed hunting it that I don't know about or what, but I can't shed hunt very well at all. I mean, it's terrible. The one thing I'll say about shed hunting. So I trained Harley's brought back a couple sheds where it's like, you know, she's off hunting. I'm doing my thing. And she just brought a shed back. Like that certainly happens after a period of time shed hunting with your dog. Like if you do a good enough job training, you know, they will bring bones back that you can't find or that you didn't find. But the thing I found is I started finding more sheds when I trained Harley to shed hunt because I shed hunted more. Like now it's like I have a shed dog. So I just spent more time out there and that naturally, you know, just led into finding more sheds. The first year Harley didn't pick up a bone that I didn't see first. Um, you know, so, but every shed I was out there and because I was out there so much, I just wanted to get around antlers. Um, you know, I think I found 12 sheds in the first, you know, two months that we went out, which some guys probably laugh at that, but for me, that was my best year ever. Um, I know I have some friends that pick up hundreds of sheds a year and I don't get how they do it, but they live (laughs) in Iowa, but, um, you know, so you're just out there more with your dog and it's great exercise and, yeah, that's, that's a lot of fun. That's, I love doing that with Harley in the springtime for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you just got back from Colorado on a trip. What, uh, what were you doing out there? Yeah. So again, I've been, I've been trout fishing my whole life really since I was, I don't know, 10, maybe my dad got me into it and I grew up just fishing with worms, like most people in Wisconsin. Then I switched to spinner fishing for trout and I got really into it like in the last two or three years where like I just love trout fishing and then I bought a fly rod and I fell off the deep end like (laughs) I'm a full-out trout bum now I'm I go out as much as I can and um this year getting into fly fishing I've done some really cool things had some incredible experiences uh with like going over the driftless area fly fishing over there um, in West Southwest Wisconsin, that was great. I did, I fished this thing called the hex hatch. Um, for people that don't know, like fly fishing is a lot about different bug hatches. And I went, I had a friend tell me about what this thing was and a hex it's called, it's real name is like a hexagenius or something like that, but it's this big, huge mayfly that hatches at night only during certain times of the year in certain places. So we go out there in the dark And all of a sudden these bugs start hatching and I'm not kidding you, dude. It looks like a biblical plague. Like don't open your mouth because you'll get bugs in your mouth. Jeez. And all you hear is fish rising, eating these flies and kind of the big fish come out to play because they're these big, huge flies full of protein. It's at night and you're just sitting there. And I mean, fish, I have fish running into my legs in the river. Like I've never had that happen, but they're splashing all around you and you're just waiting for a fish that sounds big. You, you cast at them in the dark and that we caught um, several fish and I caught three fish over 15 inches. My biggest was an 18 inch fish, which that's a really nice brown trout in Wisconsin. Jeez, yeah. But he had caught like a 22 inch brown. 
Um, and I was like, this is incredible. And he was just kind of telling me more about all this stuff. So when I got back from that, I was like, I need to do more of this. And I was yeah. like, I called my brother up cause he was kind of getting into trout fishing at the same time. He's like, what if we just went out West this year? And I was like, I'd be down. And he's like, all right, Colorado. And we just started planning and, um, we went out to Colorado, kind of the Silverthorn Kremlin area. Um, we camped on the Green Mountain Reservoir, which is just beautiful. And I mean, the whole thing was an adventure. We we left at 11 a.m. on Monday. So the drive, we we got there at 4 um, a.m. the next day. So I drove through the night and I drove from, I drove like 13 hours straight. And of course it was light through like Nebraska and Iowa and all the boring stuff. And then as soon as we started getting into the mountains, it was dark. But we woke up on the Green Mountain Reservoir to just a beautiful mountain view, set up camp, and then we fished for six days on the Blue River, the Colorado River, and then for one day we drove down to the um, Eagle Vale area and fished yep. the Eagle River, and it was just great. I mean, we caught we caught some great fish, but just I mean, I could have gone out there and just drove around, and it would have been worth a trip. It's just oh yeah, out there. So yeah, Colorado is awesome now. You're trout fishing. You grew up fishing with worms. I'm guessing, you know, bluegill. You're in Wisconsin, so it's like bluegill, walleye, pike, mm-hmm. um, crappie, I guess. Uh, are you trout fishing for food or for fun or for both? So this, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to turn into a little bit of a snob, I guess. I, <laughs> I always uh, trout fished. Like my goal when I went trout fishing is I went out there to catch fish because I like eating trout and I still eat trout without a doubt that's kind of this whole thing but because I've gotten into fly fishing and now I'm going out there three four times a week trout are they're not like crappie and bluegill and so they're very fragile fish and very fragile resource so because I trout fish so much I I don't believe that it would be right for me to keep limits every time I went out there because I do think that would impact the population so now I do much more catch and release fishing and I don't want to, I don't pass any judgment on anyone that does keep trout and eat them because I, I still eat trout. And like, I used to be a part of all these trout fishing groups and I'd post, you know, that I kept some fish to eat and people would just like destroy <laughs> me for it. And I, right. I didn't get like, I hated the catch and release crowd because they were so mean, but like now I'm starting to get, it's like, okay, this is a bigger thing. I do it more. I get why people, you know, are part of the catch and release. And I understand that these trout are really fragile resource. So I do mostly catch and release now, but I really love eating fresh caught trout over fire. I mean, there's nothing better. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, aside from bass fishing, I don't think I've ever gone out to catch something that I wasn't planning on keeping and eating. Yeah. But living out in Colorado for a couple of years, you're not joking, man you get some like cutthroat and I don't mean the fish, but like you get some cutthroat trout fishers and it's like, dude, Whoa, chill, man. I just do it differently. I don't do it wrong. I do it differently. And, uh, I, I just never understood. I saw, I saw like a TikTok or a YouTube video or something. And it was this trout guide and he's teaching these dudes from Wisconsin how to trout fish. And they're like, Oh, okay, sweet. So then you like, how do you, how do you process them? And he's like, no, 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 we don't process them. We release them. And the guy's like, yeah, into a live well. And he's like, no, 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 back in the river. He's like, oh, okay. So you have, you've got a stringer. And he's like, no, 
<laughs> he's like, we let them go. He's like, what do you, I don't fully understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and I thought it was just so good because you see the difference from like anybody east of the Mississippi versus all, like everybody west of the Mississippi and how they view fishing and especially trout fishing. Um, I, I get it. I get both sides of it. I think people shouldn't be quick to pass judgment on the other guys, but, mm-hmm. uh, but it makes sense. Like what you're saying, if you went out and kept a limit every time that would have a significant impact. And if everybody did that, it would have a significant impact. Yeah. If every dude like me that loves trout fishing as much as I did and went out three, four or five times a week, did it, then it would have an impact back, you know, back when I love trout fishing, but I only went a handful of times a year, me keeping a limit, you know, is, is just fine. But um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, just six months ago, I would have had a completely different answer. It's, it's really since I've gotten to fly fishing and since I've dove into the thing about fly fishing is you have to learn so much more about the fish, like in order to be successful at it. So I've learned so much more about the fish and how they survive and you know, what it is about them and stuff. And I've just learned how, just how fragile they are. So that's where I was kind of like, okay, I need to change this a little bit. And I still, of course, pass no judgment on people that are out there to keep, keep and eat fish. That's, that's why this industry exists. You know, if that didn't, if you couldn't do that, we wouldn't have trout fishing. So, um, but yeah, that's been a new change in my life, especially cause I'm such a, like a meat eater, wild game eater. Like that's, I, I love venison. I eat everything from squirrels to ducks to rabbits, deer. Yep. I mean, so yeah. Man, that's awesome. Uh, are you, are you tying your own flies or is that the next step in the progression of trout fishing? I know October 15th, I'm going to buy vice and start tying flies <laughs> because that's the end of the season here in Wisconsin. And I know just the way I am when I dive into something, I dive in head first and I figured it'd be a good time to, you know, while I'm up at the cabin at night or midday, like I don't, I don't hunt mornings early season. I don't hunt mornings until like October 28th. Um, so while I'm up at the cabin, you know, for a weekend, I'll be tying flies and, and learning that whole thing. But I figured I better wait until I have a little bit more, more time for it. So I'm going to tie flies all winter and learn that side of things. I'm excited for that. That's awesome. I was, I was part of an organization out in Colorado that taught, taught like a mentor and a student, basically a kid and an adult, how to spin fish and fly fish and um, shoot bows and guns and all this different stuff. And I thought it was comical because I had never tied a fly in my life. And then they taught me in like a really brief class. I mean, a couple hours and then they're like, all right, you have to go teach people. And I'm like, oh man. And these kids are showing up with their, with their, I don't even know what the proper term is basically like a fly box or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they had all these flies they are like, check this out. I learned how to tie flies last year. And this is what I've been working on. And I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Like, I can't help you at all. You are way past me. Um, but people get so into it. And then I discovered why, because I went to buy flies one day and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I could buy like 30 top waters for the price of some of those flies. It's crazy yeah. expensive. Yeah. Streamers, especially. So, and I just think there'd be a huge level of satisfaction of tying your own fly and catching a fish on it. But oh, yeah. that's, that's the next uh, rabbit hole. I'm going to dive down with fly fishing. That's for sure. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be pretty cool. I, 
I honestly haven't done a ton of fly fishing. Uh, I do every time I go up to Alaska, but that's a little bit different. It's not like, it's not like trout fishing, right? You're, you're just fishing for spawning salmon and they're not even mm-hmm. really hungry at that point. Yeah. You're just trying to catch them in the lip. It's like snagging salmon in yeah. the lip. And I'm like, man, I feel like I'd get a lot more into fly fishing and probably become an addict like most guys do if I went and hit some of those Colorado, Montana, Wyoming streams and the mountains where it's beautiful, mm-hmm. where you can just get away and not think about anything else for a while. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called Anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started, and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get-go, and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast. And so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through. And you can make money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What uh, What is something that you haven't done that you're hoping to? Or are you kind of like, man, I can't add any more hobbies to my outdoor lifestyle? Um, I've done as far as like what there is to do in this area. I feel like I've done just about everything. I'd love to do more of everything. Like we talked a little bit about trapping. I'd like to get a little bit more into trapping. Um, and I'd like to get more into more adventure style trips, like more backcountry Western stuff. Um, I'd like to be able to do more of those a year. I've only done my Western hunting experience is limited. I've done some of it, but I'd like to add more. And um, my dream, like, I don't know, people like ask me like what my bucket list hunt is for like obtainable stuff. I'd love to do just like a Colorado elk hunt. Like I've never done an elk hunt before. I'd love to do a mule deer hunt. Um, that stuff is like somewhat obtainable, but like my dream high in the sky one day, if I won the lottery, um, trip would be like a New Zealand, two weeks in New Zealand, red stag hunting and fly fishing. That would be like my big bucket list type of deal. Oh yeah. That it's crazy down there. And I I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but for a long time, New Zealand red stag was my number one on my bucket list. And then I was like, man, it's not really because someone told me all of those big red stag or like high fence or like managed um, animals. And then recently I was talking about this on like TikTok live and somebody popped on and they were like, hey, listen, I live down here and it's not that way. You can go out and just hunt them and they're all over the place. They're invasive and they don't have seasons like Australia no seasons. You can shoot just about anything any day of the year. And I'm like, Oh man, 
I don't know why I don't live down there right now. That sounds amazing. But they just view everything as nuisance. I mean, sheep, goats, deer, you name it. If it's on, if it's in New Zealand, it's probably not native. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's definitely, they have figured out that there's a market for dudes that want to come over and shoot giant red stakes. So there are those high fence operations, but there's a lot of public land and wild hunts too. That oh, yeah. are Because I, I had the same thing where it was on my bucket list and then I heard the same thing. It's like everything in New Zealand is high fence. So then I was like, oh man, I don't want to do that. And then I learned more about it, you know, and I, that's, that would be my dream, you know, red stag, maybe some like weird animals like chamois and whatever. And then yep. fly fishing. Would you, <laughs> so. would you take a rifle, a bow or both? Uh, it, it, at that point, if, if I'm able to do this dream trip of mine that I cannot even close to afford right now, no, no, I would no, imagine when. I'd be not like, if, when. Super, super, yeah, I'd be super rich at that time <laughs> and uh, could afford some time off. So I'd take a bow. Um, right now, I, I love bow hunting more, but I'm, I, I'll rifle hunt too. Um, yeah. I definitely prefer bow hunting to rifle hunting, but it does kind of, when you've got limited time, um, to go on like a excursion of some sort, um, there's definitely higher odds with a rifle. So I do take that into consideration when planning trips right now, but I, I surely love bow hunting more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, if, if I have a higher rate of success doing one thing, I'll probably do it unless I'm confident enough to like, think, all right, there's a decent chance I'll get it with a bow. But mm-hmm. it's just tough, man. When you plan these trips and you spend a lot of money and you take a lot of time off, you want something to show for it. When you get back, obviously you'll have the stories of adventure, but I'm also doing it for the meat. Like that's a big yeah. chunk of why I do it. And so it's like, if I'm going to spend 650 bucks on a non-resident tag, I better have something to show for it. Otherwise yeah. that's a really expensive, you know, trip to McDonald's right. when I get back. Yeah. Last year I did, I waited 12 years for a bear tag in Wisconsin and I had my bear hunt last year and I brought a bow and a rifle because 12 years is a long time to wait for a tag. And I I really wanted to shoot one with a bow, but the opportunity I got, and I ran hounds, um, I went with a group of guys and we ran hounds and it was an absolutely incredible experience. I was feeling very on the fence about just hound hunting in general. Like I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was very interested in it because I love dog work, but I didn't know as far as just ethics and whatever morals that I have personally as a hunter. Um, But I'll definitely do it again. It was an incredible experience, but the, the tree that they put the bear that I ended up shooting in was a giant white pine, I think. And there was just lots of branches and it was high up there. And I really wanted to use my bow, but there was no way to do it. And I was like, I've waited 12 years for this. Um, at this point it doesn't matter like the bear doesn't care whether i use a bow or a gun and yeah. um i use my rifle and i don't think it took away from the experience at all i would have no. maybe rather done it with my bow but it was an awesome experience and like you said you wait a long time spend a lot of money and meat is i, I don't hunt i hunt for the meat that is a huge reason why i hunt but like if we're being honest it's not the cheapest way to procure meat. No. <laughs> like, uh, but that is a it's nice. It's a lot nicer when you spend money and you come back with, you know, a couple hundred pounds of meat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's like for a long time I justified it and I'm like, man, for you know, $17, I can get 
two deer and two turkeys here in Missouri or whatever the price is now. I don't remember. Um, and I'm like, man, that's really not bad. And I've already got all the gear. And, but mm-hmm. then I find myself getting a new bow and a new rifle and new binoculars or a new scope, a new sight. And I'm like, yeah, I can't use that cheap meat argument ever again. It is yeah. not the case. Yeah. But, and it's all, I mean, it can be as cheap or as expensive as you want it to be. And it is, it is of course, one of the main reasons why I do what I do. And it's not necessarily because it's cheap meat, but it's because it's meat that I got, you yeah. know, I didn't buy it. Someone else didn't kill it for me. I was there for the whole process. I know where it was coming from. Um, and I, man, I'm ready for September. I'm about out of venison right now. I shot four deer last year and me and my two kids ate it up all year. Yeah. So we're about out. Yeah, we, uh, we had plenty and then we had an issue with a deep freeze that, uh, made us lose a lot of it. And that was middle of summer, I think. And it still makes me sick to my stomach to think about, but we've been, we've been collecting meat again. Um, we've got pigs here on the property and so we've got that meat, um, I, our season kicks off here in about two weeks, a little over two weeks. And then going up to Alaska, we brought like 180 pounds of fish back. And so we've got loads and loads. We actually just had salmon tonight and it was amazing, but I'm, I'm pumped. Typically what I do is I try to get a couple does in the freezer, like right away, first month of season. Um, because like the properties that I hunt, they're out all the time especially where we live, we're on 20 acres and I can just walk down the driveway, climb up in my stand, hear the kids outside playing, you know, if they're up at the house and have deer walk right underneath me. So I'm definitely excited to get some red meat back in the freezer after losing all that. Yeah. I've had one freezer problem in the past and it's like, I just want to puke every time I think about it. Yeah. Cause you work so hard for it, man. It's, it's, that's one thing I don't think anyone appreciates me more than a hunter. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think, uh, I don't know. There's some, I, I tell people all the time. I'm like, it's not just about the meat. It's not just about the adventure. And I can justify the cost because I'm like, when I go to an out of state hunt, that's a vacation for me as well. So it's like, I could go down to the beach and spend a couple thousand dollars for a week, or I could go out West where I love the mountains way more than the beach. My wife does not agree with that, but, uh, I love the mountains way more than the beach. And so I'm like, it's a getaway. It's a vacation. On top of that, I get to hunt, which is the thing that I love most as far as recreation goes. And then I can bring meat back. And so I'm like, I get everything all in one and it's still cheaper than if I were to go and like parasail in florida and rent an airbnb and all that for sure that's a good point and i will say just from you know i just follow i came across your tiktok i don't know a couple weeks ago and i've been watching some of your content and stuff and i'll say i think you got a pretty uh awesome wife so i'm going to give you props for that she seems really supportive and that's pretty cool yeah she she is really awesome she is a huge reason the podcast has taken off that my tiktok's taken off i i'd be nowhere without her and we make a lot of tiktok videos and like there's somewhere she seems grumpy and it's one of those things where she's in on it like most of the time Mm -hmm. 
Um, we don't do like the fake pranks where it's like, oh, I was hiding and I threw flour in your face after I hit you with a water balloon. But <laughs> we we try to make funny content that other hunters and their spouses can relate to. And it's <laughs> been pretty good. I mean, I watch, I go back and watch some of the videos that I forgot we made. And I'm like, dang, that's actually really funny. Like that's yeah. pretty spot on. Um and it's funny. There's so many wives that comment on them and they're like, we need a support group. We need, <laughs> we need like hunters wives anonymous or something like that. Yeah. That's cool. That's fun that you guys get to have fun together with that. Yeah. It's awesome. And she's kind of getting into hunting. I don't think she'll ever be like die hard about it, but she got her first, her first deer last year and oh, she was pretty her. pumped. So, um, we got to eat that up. And actually, luckily that's the only deer that that we were able to save through the old deep freeze issue. Um, we had that one in a separate freezer. And so we did still have some red meat after that, but um, so you're, you're in Wisconsin, you're coming up pretty quick on whitetail season, right? Yeah. Like two weeks. It's an early opener this year. So it's crazy. It did, summer flew by. I can't believe it's going to be here that soon. I need to get my act together. Yeah. What, a, what are you doing in, preparation for it so i got my food plots in um all my food plots and trail cameras up i've had my trail cameras running all summer i finished planting food plots about a week and a half ago and thank god we finally got some rain um this last week and we got a bunch of rain so i'm actually going to fly up to the cabin probably tomorrow monday and tuesday um just to check on things check trail cameras make sure everything with the food plots are going well um all of our stands are hung and ready to go. I could I'll probably trim some of them out every year. We do some maintenance. We normally add a couple stands every year and just check, you know, ratchet straps and make sure everything's trimmed out with shooting lanes and stuff. So I'm probably going to do that this Monday and Tuesday. And then there's, I've got a three-year saga with a deer going on and it's, it's a little bit crazy how well I know this deer. So his, his name is Dagger. Um, and I put a video out. So similar to you, I, I had a couple TikToks like go viral a couple years ago. And one of them was because of the story with Dagger. Um, I found him three years ago. He was at the time, he was just a beautiful, like 145 inch straight eight pointer. And on my rutcation, I took four days off. I shot this deer twice, had seven encounters with him three or four of which were inside of 20 yards and he was still living at the end of the week. Oh and then I, um, yeah. And it's all on video. You can watch it on YouTube. I look like an idiot. It was so hard to put out there. Cause I mean, I broadside at 20 yards the first time I, to this day, I don't know what happened on that first shot. I felt rock solid. I just hit him low. Like I shot under his heart. I barely broke skin. There's barely any blood. Um, just a flesh wound. Saw him the next morning actually saw him that night again from my, from the front porch of my cabin. I saw him because I was like, I don't know if I should go and hunt. We didn't find this deer. I was thinking about, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And then I saw him that night off the front porch of my cabin, saw him again from the stand the next morning, shot him again the next night. Um, and saw him two more times. Then I saw him with a gun, uh, but he was running at like 150 yards. And I was like, I'm not wounding this deer again. He came back last year. And the story with this deer is he typically shows up like right now is like, he'll, I'll get my first, he'll either be 
just coming out of velvet or still have his velvet on like towards the very end of August, we'll get a couple pictures of him, and he'll be really spotty through September and October. I'll just see him every once in a while. He'll kind of swing through. And then he lives on my farm during November. He, he lives on our, on our land during the rut. Um, and last year he was like 165 inch again, straight, well, straight eight pointer, but he had 12 points because of different kickers and, and whatnot. So he was like probably 160, 165 last year. So if history repeats itself, I'm hoping to have a picture of him on this next trail camera pull. And I'm hoping to be after him again this season. Cause as far as I know, no one's killed him. Um, I haven't heard of anyone finding his sheds or uh, shooting him. So he should still be there. And that will be, if I could close a deal on that deer, that would be one heck of a story. That is crazy. Yeah. I can't, oh man, I can't imagine. I, I hear stories like this and I'm like, that would haunt me forever. I mean, truthfully, there hasn't been a day that goes by that. I haven't thought about the, the, not only the first miss, but the second, I mean, if you watch the video, it's just like, how did this even happen? I, oh man, I'm going to, I'm watching the video tonight. You better believe I'm throwing it up on my TV because I'll, yeah, I'll warn you. It's a long one. It's a longer video than I normally put out. It's like 40 minutes, but it's, it's, I had, it had to be that long to explain everything that happened because it's like so crazy how, how it all came together. But yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. It's the second. So when I shot this deer, I saw him, I shot him the first morning. We blood trailed him. I knew it wasn't a lethal hit or I was fairly confident it wasn't a lethal hit. I saw him off my cabin porch that night. I saw him the next morning out of the same stand that I shot him in the day prior. He just didn't come within range and I saw where he was headed. So I quick climbed out of my tree stand, went to a different place for the evening hunt. And sure enough, he, I could have spit on him. He was at five yards in front of my stand, but I was moving my stupid camera and I couldn't come to full draw. And I came to full draw when he was walking away and he quartered and I missed him at 20 yards. Well, I, sh- I nicked him again. I drew hair. He didn't even bleed the second time. And then I saw him on the next three hunts in a row and um, he didn't come within bow range again. And then even the way I saw him gun hunting was like, this is like a stupid horror movie where I normally I sit all day gun hunting and I sit in this box blind that's like it's literally 100 yards from the front door of our cabin and i had to use the facilities and i wanted to grab a snack so i left my stand like an idiot and i went back to the cabin sitting on the cabin eating a sandwich about to grab my backpack to head back to the stand and these three bucks start running with in in between my cabin and the stand and I can see them, but there's a bunch of pine trees and stuff in the way. So I'm like down, like on the cooler with my rifle, trying to just not shoot them, but see what they are. And sure enough, I see one of them. I'm like, I think that's dagger. So they kind of run towards the direction of my dad's stand. I hear shooting. My dad calls me and we have really spotty reception. And I, I thought I heard him say I shot dagger. So I was like, all right, like at this, I was dagger or bust. So I was like, all right, time to like start stacking some does up for meat or whatever. Yeah. So I shot a doe and somehow with the miscommunication, my dad thought I said I shot dagger, but I was asking him, did you shoot dagger? So I'm, I shoot this doe and again, I have to go to the bathroom. So I'm peeing off like the, the door of my box blind. I sit down in my chair and I look to my left and daggers running across the field 
at 75 yards. And I'm like, what are you doing still alive? He's running. I got my scope on him, but I didn't want to shoot him. And like a minute later, my dad pops out. My dad spooked Dagger towards me. And it was just this whole debacle where it's like, this oh deer's not meant to die yet. So no. It's all on so, film, man. <laughs> is that it? Is that it this year? I mean, like, is that the only deer you're going after? If he's alive, it, it'd be hard for me to say he's the only deer I'm after. Like, if, if I get confirmed pictures of him and he's alive, it's probably Dagger or Bust. But we got a couple other, like, really nice deer that if if i can't find him or if he doesn't show up um i would shoot but as soon as i get a picture of that deer yeah it's dig or a bust i think man that's so cool i love having history with deer i mean that's one of my favorite things at this point trail cameras are like equally as fun to me as hunting i i just geek out if i'm out in the field and i i always bring my computer with I'll grab the card, throw it in the computer. And like, as soon as it loads the full screen of pictures, I'm just like, Oh yes, they're back. They're back. And luckily this year I've got, I've got more bucks on camera this year than I ever have. And our property is the property that I hunt. I mean, it's like 230 acres, but it's not like, it's not like great whitetail habitat. Mm -hmm. All of it, a good chunk of it is cattle pasture. I mean, I would say 75 to 80% of it is where cows run. I don't get big bucks on camera on any of that. Um, if I do, it's just like a couple times a year, but the, the one section of it that the cows can't go on, I get these bucks like every single night. I mean, every night and it's the same ones and they come out the same way. There's one called Valentino and he shows up before all the other ones and hangs out for 45 minutes. And then all of a sudden, snake bite shows up and then max and i mean it's just like i know these deer and i've seen mm -hmm. them all during daylight already so far but it's like once every other week and so i don't know i'm pretty hopeful this year but there's a couple that i'm like they're freaks they're way i mean 50 percent bigger than all the other ones on camera and yeah. so i don't i still don't know what my game plan is this year for it i'm just gonna go sit out there and see what see what gets my blood pumping yeah, I think there's like two forms of deer hunting that are hunting in general that are really fun to me. And one is like managing property, running trail cameras and figuring a deer out and making like an informed decision on how to kill a deer. I yeah. think that's super fun and requires a lot of strategy, but there, it's also fun to like go to a place you've never been, go in blind and just try to like get in it and figure it out as you go. Yeah, They're both unique experiences and are totally different. Um and I'm just because of time, I don't do a whole lot of public land hunting anymore. I used to in college, but it's like, if I've got time to go deer hunting, I'm going to do it at my cabin where I know I have a high percentage chance, but every once in a while, I'll just go out to public land, go on the ground and, you know, see what happens. It's, they're both really, really fun, but building a story, man, that's, that's what I'm into right now. Oh yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. The two different types of hunting, because for me in Missouri, it's like building the story. It's tracking these deer. It's recording them year after year, going through tens of thousands of pictures on my trail camera, having in-person sightings, multiple encounters. And then when I go to Wisconsin, I have zero cameras in Wisconsin. Although I'm in one of the best counties in the country for whitetail hunting, I don't run cameras up there. I don't do any habitat improvement because I only hunt up there during the nine-day rifle season. Mm -hmm. but there's something about it. It's just a different aspect 
where you're sitting there and there's no telling what's going to show up. Yeah. I mean, and even if I did run cameras, it would be that way because you know, the numbers in Wisconsin, like there are so many deer there. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And we're in farm especially country over there. Yeah. Especially where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, man, I can, I could sit in the stand and I could either see zero deer depending on the year. Like we had one year that was really bad. Um, it was so wet. The farmers couldn't get the corn out. And oh. I mean, it was like probably, I think three years ago, maybe two years ago. I don't remember, but anyways, they couldn't get the corn out and we hardly saw any deer the whole season. But if it's normal year, when they get the crops out, the deer move to the woods, they're starting to feed on acorns. And I mean, it's not uncommon to see 40, 50 deer in one day, just sitting mm-hmm. in the woods. And it's like they funnel through and it might be a spike. It might be a doe. It might be 12 does, or it might just be the biggest buck you've ever seen in your life. And yeah. so it's like the fact that you're always on edge for me, bow hunting here, I sit in the stand and I'm like, okay, it's 30 minutes before the end of shooting. I should probably start paying attention Yeah. in Wisconsin. You could be out there at 12 noon and you've just got to be on edge. Like at any second, my whole world could change. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's what hunting's all about, man. It's you live for that three seconds of that, that twig snaps and all of a sudden yep. a big buck in front of you, you know, just think of how many hours you sat there and nothing, but that couple seconds makes it all worth it. Well, and people don't get like, <laughs> I brought my wife out last year, uh, hunting with a rifle. And she's like, she looked at me after maybe an hour and a half of being out there. And she goes, so you sit here all day <laughs> long. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this is a hundred percent what I do. And she's like, I just think of all of the things that I could be getting done and checking off my list during this time. And I'm like, it's not about, I mean, part of it's about the sit. Like I do enjoy just like sitting, enjoying the calm, but then there's another part of it where it's like, the few seconds of excitement or even just catching a glimpse of a deer, you know, 400 yards across the field, it just gets your endorphins pumping or like firing. And I don't know, there's no other way to explain it. If, if someone hasn't done it. That, yeah, those couple seconds where the animal you're after, and then how many just cool things do hunters get to see that most other people don't, unless they watch like, nat g or something like i've seen i have a stand right over the creek i've seen a family of otters playing like i watched them for like three hours just playing and acting like kids and then you know i've seen raccoons do all sorts of crazy things and, and just the different birds and squirrels i one time i saw this one squirrel that i swear to god i don't know what was wrong with it but i saw this squirrel fall off a tree like 15 times in a row like i just climb up <laughs> and fall off it was the most unathletic squirrel in history <laughs> But just like all the cool things we get to see because we're out there in nature blending in. I mean, that's that's what it's all about for me. But yeah, like like why I said I love bow hunting or deer hunting the most is because the ultimate payoff of not even harvesting a deer, but having that quick adrenaline rush or something. You know, you're sitting in your stand, nothing happens for it's November, nothing's happened for four hours, and all of a sudden a buck comes screaming by chasing a doe. It's like that 10 seconds made the whole day worth it. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I think back to some of my first hunts when I hear that twig snap and I turn and I see the silhouette of a deer coming through the woods 
it's early morning or late at night. And the only thing I can compare like the rush of adrenaline and like my heart pounding so hard was like when I first started speaking in front of a lot of people for my job, I used to have to do it, but it was like, you start, you start thinking about what you're going to say and like, Oh man, I'm about to have to go up in front of them. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't know. It like, yeah, it paralyzes you. And it's that same feeling, but in a good way when a yeah. deer walks in the woods. But yeah, I totally agree with the, um, with like seeing random things that you'd never see otherwise. Like mm-hmm. I've seen families of families of armadillos. I've never seen a baby armadillo in my life. And like yeah. walking to my stand or from the sand, I've seen them. I've seen coyotes come out and deer chase coyotes off. I've seen three coyotes come out and scare the biggest buck I would have ever had a shot at away. I've seen mm-hmm. um, hawks come down and try to take out turkeys. And I mean, it's just like a whole different world out there when you can sit and experience and put the hours in. Mm-hmm. And even without pulling the trigger, or bringing home a deer, like that's all still worth it to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, Hey, we're, we're coming up on an hour and I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners where they can find your stuff, because I think a lot of people are going to want to see this dagger story play out. So don't be surprised if you have a couple um, new views on YouTube. I hope so, man. So everything is at Growing Wild TV. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, I do a little bit on TikTok. I used to do more and I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with TikTok. <laughs> um, it can be really fun and I, I should do more because it's by far my biggest platform, but uh, I just kind of neglect it for some reason. But um, yeah, everything's at Growing Wild TV and I'm, I'm super excited. If there's a time to like kind of hop on the train, I, I would say right now because hunting season's right around the corner and with, uh, quitting my job and going full time on, on my own, I should have more time ever than this year to get out there. Um, and I have tons of, I think I have like, I'm, I'm coming up to a hundred videos on YouTube. Dang. Um, so there's plenty of past content to watch if you want to watch hunting, fishing, family weekends at the cabin. I mean, I, I put my whole life on there. So I, I think it's a lot of fun to, you know, I have the YouTube accounts that I follow and you feel like you get to know someone. I try to make it like that on YouTube, but um, the dagger hunt, if that's the one you want to watch, I named it something super clickbaity. It's like, it's from 2018 and it's called like November rut hunting bucks everywhere or something, something to that effect. Um, But uh, yeah, that, that's a real fun video. If you want to watch me look like a serious idiot, Uh, (laughs) I make a fool out of myself in that video and you get to see me like crying and screaming and all sorts of stuff, (laughs) an emotional roller coaster. But, um, and then, you know, Facebook and Instagram, I'm posting, I post pictures just about every day, whether it be the bucks that I'm after trail camera photos or just, photos from my experiences, what I'm up to. Um, I try to be as active as I can. I try to reply to every message. So um, yeah, follow along. I, I, I love sharing my stories and I, I think I got some pretty cool stuff coming this year that I'll, that'll be worth watching. Man, that's, that's awesome. I think uh, uh, all the content that you've put out that I've seen has been great. That dagger one though, I'm pretty pumped about. And I think it's cool when people can relate and they don't only see the success they see the struggle. I mean, when you can follow the progression of a story, you probably have more people like rooting for you right now to, to finally catch up and close that chapter with that deer. Um, whereas 
if it's like a deer that you just randomly run into and it's like, Hey, look, I got it. And now it's on my wall and in my freezer. Mm -hmm. It's, it's way, way better to build that, um, that story with, with something year after year. But, uh, I want to give you one last or one more chance. This, this segment, I always call emptying the chamber. It's your opportunity to just share one final thing with the listeners. Uh, my final thing would be like, just do it. Whatever you're, I've been this year for me, I've had a lot change in my personal life in the last year and a half or so. Like this last year, I think has been one of the craziest years with COVID. And I think just overall, like national depression, anxiety, people just being cooped up and wore out and tired and frustrated is at an all time high. And I've talked about heading out west for forever. I've talked about getting into fly fishing forever. I've talked about all these things. And this year is the year that I'm just doing it. Um, no matter what it is in the outdoors, just take those opportunities. Um, obviously, be smart. Make sure it's okay with your family. Don't <laughs> go into debt or you know <laughs> max out a credit card or something to do it. Go on a trip you can't afford. But um, find prioritize the things that matter. Um, you know, it, it's amazing to me how how many what if you didn't go out to the bar for a couple weekends a year or if you didn't go to that movie how what could that get you as far as like a hunting trip or something and um just prioritize the things that matter and are meaningful and I really think outdoor experiences are a huge part of that so maybe take a trip this year maybe start a new outdoor hobby and just uh get into it and enjoy it you know I've I've really been this year trying to find more time to get outside do the things I love and prioritize the things that matter and um it's made a big difference in my life yeah, that's awesome. I think my uh, my little bit here at the end would be along those lines, just try something new. You never know what you're going to get into. You never know what you're going to like. Um, you know, just expand your expand your hobbies or um, passions. And like like with you, fly fishing took off and it's something you love to do. Now you're going to be getting a fly tying kit and uh I just think it's cool when you can find something else, especially like deer hunting doesn't last all year. Mm -hmm. If you can get into things that kind of like turkey hunting for me is like helps bridge the gap between uh, deer hunting and deer hunting or like deer hunting mm -hmm. and uh, deer prep. So get out and try something like that. But yeah. I appreciate you being on, man. Uh, it's been a good time and we'll definitely have to do this again. Hear how the story ends up on, on the farm this year. I'm hoping, yeah. man, if, text me, shoot me a message on Instagram. I, I want to see a trail camera picture if that thing's alive and I will be following along. If he's alive, I will for surely do that. I should be up there this Monday and Tuesday. Um, and I got trail cameras out for him. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I got another train coming by. Right yeah, I was like, dang, oh. man, that got loud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I really appreciate you having me on there. And if I could give one more thing, um, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but right now it's the 29th on Monday, tomorrow night, my Colorado video is coming out and I'm super excited for that. So I'm, I'm sure that'll be out whenever this podcast is uh, released, but um, I'm really excited about that. That's one of my favorite videos I've put together because it was quite an experience. So make sure you check that out too. Yeah, that's awesome. I will, uh, this will either go out tomorrow morning right away or it'll go out Wednesday morning, but 
because you've got that video out, I might just bump this up on the list and I'll try to get it out 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, central time. Perfect. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks again. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Zach and myself just about what we're passionate about, what we're excited for, and looking forward to this coming season. I know he's trying to catch up with a deer that he's got a three-year saga with. I hope he can. I hope he can close that chapter in his life. And I'm excited to see how he does with fly tying, fly fishing, and any other outdoor activities that he's going to get involved in with in the coming months and years. But I've got to tell you guys, whitetail season's about to kick off. I couldn't be any more excited about it. Before that, we're actually going to be kicking off dove opener. That's just kind of the start of all the fall hunting activities. And so we make a big deal about it. We typically camp out overnight, me and a bunch of buddies. We'll get up early that morning, like 2, 2.30, and get out to the field and get our spot saved because we're on public land. But this is a highly coveted chunk of public land as far as doves go. I mean, tens of thousands of birds are taken every year. And so... It's definitely a spectacle. It's definitely the event to partake in on September 1st every year. And by the time you guys listen to this, odds are we've already been out and hammered them and probably turned them into like some jalapeno cream cheese bacon wrap dove poppers and have enjoyed them. But before I get off, I've got to tell you, go on leave a review and a rating that helps me out greatly as well. We've got stickers up for sale. So go and check those out. They're really sweet, only three bucks. And we're hoping to come out with hats and t-shirts soon. I appreciate all your guys' support and I wouldn't be where I am today without it. So until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.